chapter 2 was about false teachers from the beginning to end and how God will deal with those false teachers. God will punish the wicked. He will reward the righteous. Chapter 3 is dealing with things that the false teachers taught, some of the problems that they were having at the time period, and, and that's where we'll pick up. Verse 1 says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Beloved, a term of endearment that Peter uses four times in this chapter. Why would Peter call his readers beloved? How did Peter feel about these people? He loved them, didn't he? I mean, he really, really wanted to help them. And as Christians, that's a wonderful example to us because we should feel the same way about one another. We should be able to call one another beloved. And I know that's maybe not the language we use today, but we should have that same type of endearment for each other. For those even in the world that we desire to save, God calls us to be a people that love, that truly love other people. And sometimes that's a difficult thing, but Peter is a wonderful example of the fact that he did love all these people. He says he's writing the second epistle, and of course, that's talking about 1 Peter and now in uh, 2 Peter. He says, I want to stir up your pure minds. Pure minds. I want you to think about this for a second. Peter's trying to get these people to realize the importance of the Word of God, all the things that they've learned, and he says, I want to stir up your pure mind. In order to accept the Word of God, don't you have to have a pure mind? Don't you have to have an open mind? If someone has a closed mind, are they going to accept the gospel? No. Have you ever been closed-minded? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too on, on a lot of things in my life. Peter says, I want to stir up your pure mind. I want your mind to be open. I want your mind to be uncluttered by error. I want your mind to not be full of preconceived ideas. Sometimes is our minds filled with preconceived ideas? Sometimes do we think we know everything and nobody's going to be able to change our minds no matter what? You ever felt like that? If you're honest, you probably have. And sometimes even in the church, Sometimes in the church we're this way. Sometimes we think exactly what we do is the exact way you do it, and anybody that does anything contrary to the exact formula we use is wrong. Sometimes we feel that way. Am I saying that we do things wrong? I, I'm not saying that at all. But sometimes we got a lot of things that are tradition amongst us, right? Maybe the pattern, the order we conduct a service in. Maybe whatever it may be. Sometimes we get so bent up on those things that, that we don't want to, to think about anything else. Alright, let me ask you another thing. Have you ever changed your mind on something in the Bible? Have you ever thought you understood what something meant and you're studying along and you decide later, ah, I was wrong and I'm going to have to change how I feel about this. 
probably anybody that's honest and has studied very much, you've done that very thing. But you can only do that very thing if your mind is pure, if your mind is open. You see, as Christians, even today as Christians, I want us and Peter wants us to have a pure mind, an open mind, always willing if somebody can show us something that we're wrong in, don't you want to be right? I want to be right. I don't care about pride, and I say that, sometimes we do care about pride, but, but I, I want myself to be to the point that it's not about pride, it's not about anything else, it's just I want to be pleasing to God. And the only way I can be pleasing to God is have my mind open and pure and acceptable to His Word. You've heard many preachers before say, if somebody can show me where I'm wrong, then I'll change. Should we be that way? Yeah, if somebody can show us we're wrong and whatever it may be in our life, something we're doing at work, I, it doesn't matter. But always have an open mind because that's the only way the Word of God can work on your heart. The Word of God only goes into good soil. You remember those four types of soil? By the wayside, hard, thorny, and then a good soil. Good soil is a pure mind, an open mind. Brethren, we need to have that type of mind Peter says, I want to stir up that pure mind. I want you to remember some things. Second verse, he says, I want you to be mindful of things. You ever notice how the Bible is very, very repetitive? Very, very repetitive. And even books of the Bible seem to say the same things over and over again. Chase and I were talking about this last night. And he said, you know, he said, maybe it was the case because at the time these things were being taught, they weren't written down. And so therefore they were saying those things over and over again. And at the time that they did write it down, not everybody had a copy of it. So if all I'm getting is sitting somewhere and listening to someone read these scrolls of Second Peter, I might ought to hear it more than once, might I? Sometimes even today, we've got, I've probably got 25 Bibles at home, I guess. I may have more than that, I don't know. But sometimes we're not always mindful of all the things found therein, are we? Sometimes we need to be reminded over and over and over again. Sometimes we hear certain lessons and we say, man, that is, that's the most basic lesson and I knew that and I've known that for 50 years. Do we still need to be reminded? Even though we might have known it our whole lives? Yes. Because we tend to forget sometimes. Sometimes we need to, to polish up uh, on, on our knowledge. Therefore, when we're faced with somebody and maybe we can talk to them, if it's fresh on our minds, we'll know what to say. We'll know how to answer every man that asks us, 1 Peter 3.15. So nothing, nothing is off limits when it comes to the Bible. We need to be reminded of every bit of it all the way down to uh, baptism, to one church, all of those things that we think are so basic, we always need to be reminded. And Peter's telling these people, I want to stir you up. I want to remind you. I want you to be mindful of these things. Twice in a row he tells us this is important. He says, I want you to be mindful of the things spoken before by the holy prophets. Now, during this time period in the first century, when these people went into the synagogue, what did they hear read? The Old Testament, didn't they? That's what they had. Well, a whole lot of the Old Testament is talking about what? The New Testament. 
all of these prophets are pointing toward what is coming. And, and in fact, if I don't read and study and understand and be mindful of the Old Testament, my New Testament Bible is going to not make a whole lot of sense to me. It's really not. I mean, the last chapter of Peter, you know, we talked about the flood destroying the world, and we talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. If I didn't have an Old Testament, would that have made sense? I'd have read that, and I'd have said, God destroyed the world by a flood? What in the world are you talking about? Who's Sodom and Gomorrah? If I don't study the Old Testament, none of the New Testament is going to make any sense. Everything in that Old Testament Bible is pointing us toward Jesus. And the Bible even says it was written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope, Romans 15, 4. So Peter here says you need to be mindful of it. Don't neglect your Old Testament Bible. Use it. Use it. The things found therein, they're going to make you be the people you need to be. But also he says don't neglect the commandment of us. Don't neglect the New Testament. Because the New Testament, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Acts 2, verse 42. He says, don't forget the commandment of us, the apostles. All right, verse 3. He says, knowing this first. He's told them the first two verses. I love you people. I want you to get in that book. I want you to know what it says. I want you to continually uh, repeat over and over and over again what it says. And here's the why. Knowing this first. He says, I'm going to get you to prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves for what is coming. Have you ever talked to someone? Uh, I'll give you an example. And I, and I told my class on Wednesday night, uh, I, I've got a family member that's in a different congregation. I may have told you guys. And they were having some problems, going to appoint some elders. And, and he was telling me, you know, we're going to put some people up. And I said, well, listen, I want you to prepare yourself. I said, you're going to get your feelings hurt at how little people know about eldership and what it takes to be an elder. Oh, no. He called me back in a few days. He said, boy, you're right. He said, I got my feelings hurt. That's what Peter's doing here. He's telling the church, I want you to prepare yourself. You're going to get your feelings hurt if you're not ready. Not everybody's going to do, not everybody's going to do what they're supposed to do. Not everybody's going to say what they're supposed to say. Not everybody's going to believe uh, what they're supposed to believe. And could we not say the same thing right here at Willow Avenue? Prepare yourself. Not every Christian is going to be uh, the best Christian in the world. Prepare yourself. Watch out for these things. Look out. He said, you've got to know this first. What happens if you don't know that first? Sometimes you get caught off guard, right? Sometimes you get your feelings hurt. Sometimes you get discouraged and you want to throw your hands up and quit. He says, you've got to realize these things at the get-go. You've got to understand this. Things aren't always going to be rosy. He says, knowing this first, he said, scoffers will come in the last days and they'll walk according to their own lusts. Well, let's go to the last days first. Whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen in the last days. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible says it'll come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. Prophecy of the church that happened in Acts chapter 2. So the church was established in the last days. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God who at sundry times and divers manner spake in times past by the, to the fathers by the prophets. Listen to verse 2 
hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. When did Jesus speak? Time of the New Testament, right? So therefore, in the last days. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible tells us that in the latter times or in the last days, there's going to be people come and they're going to twist the truth. They're going to have itching ears. They're going to do all of these things. 1 John 2, verse 18, John says it is the last days. So we've got to understand that. The religious world, they, they teach all kind of things when it comes to that. But the last days simply means the last dispensation. This world has seen three, right? Patriarchal, mosaical. This is it. This is it. How long is it going to last? I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, but this is it. This is the final age of the earth. It's all we get. So this is happening right now, what Peter's talking about, and it's been happening for almost 2,000 years. He says, in the last days, these scoffers will come, and they'll walk according to their own lust. What's a scoffer? Somebody help me out. Someone scoffs at us. What do they do? They make fun of us. They make fun of us. They belittle us. I know a guy... I know a guy that when invited to church, and I like this guy, he'll laugh at us. He says, I don't want to go to shouting. I mean, he thinks that's funny. I'm not going to shouting with you people, all you shouting. He doesn't know what's going on, does he? Do people call us Camelots? You ever been called a Camelot? You ever been called a water dog? Or you could just go on. It's people that belittle. But why do people belittle? Why do people mock? They don't understand, right? And, you know, you really don't know what else to say. I have sit across the table with denominational preachers and studied with them, and they just mock me to my face. That's okay. You know, i got big, broad shoulders. That's all right. But it's like you can't back up and you can't defend what we're talking about. So what do you do? You make fun. You belittle. And you see, that's the problem a lot of times. These people in Peter's time, they couldn't defend what they were saying. So the best thing they could do in their minds is, hey, I'm just going to laugh at the church. I'm going to laugh at it. Do people still laugh today at us for being here on a Sunday morning? There are multitudes of people that think it's just hilarious that we think there's something more. But that's the way it's always been. Peter says in the last days, scoffers are going to be there. They're going to continue to mock. They're going to make fun. They're going to say things like there's no second coming, and that's what this is all about. He says they walk according to their own lust. They live according to their own standards, and they don't care about God's standards. That's not their concern. The world we live in today lives by their own standards, and the standards are changing rapidly, aren't they? Things that, that used to not uh, be, you know, approved by people, accepted by people. Well, man, it, it's being accepted more and more and more and more all the time. So people change their standards throughout time, but God never changes His. God has always been the same. These people, they walk after the flesh and not after the Spirit. Paul dealt with that a lot in Romans chapter 8. And that's the kind of people that he's talking about. These people that were scoffers, that were making fun, 
Here's what they said, verse 4. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You just picture these first century Christians, they're going around and they're preaching from, from place to place the same message that Jesus preached, the same message that John preached with one minute change. John and Jesus preached repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. The church is coming. But don't we preach the same thing, but we're talking about judgment's coming? Repent, judgment's coming. Jesus is coming back. He came, he established his church. So they're going around and they're preaching this time after time again and the people didn't see anything different, did they? They didn't see anything different and they said, where's the promise of his coming? You guys have been going around and you are making it urgent. You're making it urgent saying, you've got to get your life right. Jesus is coming back. It may be today, it may be tomorrow. Don't we do the same thing? Don't we get up and preach the exact same message? Get your life right. Jesus is coming soon. We sing the song, right? He's coming soon, morning or night or noon. But honestly, honestly, how many people in this assembly thinks he's coming today? You can give me the church answer. Well, no, you might. But do we, do we really even think that? I mean, we really don't think about it, do we? We really don't think about it. And, and you know, to give them just a little bit of credit... You know, they've heard this message over and over and over again, and, and in their mind, they say, nothing's changed. He says, everything is the same as it was all the way back to creation. And boy, they're, uh, they can't say that, can they? Peter's got them trapped there. But nothing has changed. Nothing has changed, they said. He's not coming. He says, our fathers have fell asleep. Most commentators believe that this is talking about some of the first Christian converts. Maybe some of the people that were converted on the day of Pentecost and, and you know, they, they've lived their life for Jesus. Now they've died and still no promise. But didn't a lot of the Old Testament people have to deal with the same thing? Doesn't the Bible say in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God? And doesn't it say that he didn't receive the promise, but he saw it by faith afar off, so he continued going, knowing it was going to happen? Yeah. All of these people that we read about, they didn't see the promise, but they believed it, and they knew it was coming. We walk by faith and not by sight, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 7. So as Christians, even though the second coming may not be in our lifetime, does that negate the fact that it's going to happen? No. If God says something is going to happen, it's absolute, right? It can't change. Titus 1-2, God cannot lie. Hebrews 6-18, God cannot lie. God said over and over and over again, He's coming back. Jesus throughout His ministry, wasn't that from the beginning to the end? I mean, isn't that what it was about? Read Matthew 25 sometimes. Man, I'm coming back. I'm going to divide the sheep and the goats, the right hand and the left hand. I'm coming back to do that. But you see, these people, a lot of times, they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. So therefore, they mocked it. They mocked it. Now, we're going to go to the time of Noah, but we've talked about this several times. 
And that's what Peter's going to appeal back to. Don't you think scoffers were the exact same during the time of Noah? It's going to flood. It's going to flood. I'm building a boat. Get on the boat. Every day they get up sun shining. It's pretty. Not a cloud in the sky. No rain. Noah, you're crazy. It's not going to happen. Everything's the same as it was since we started here on this earth. Nothing has changed. It's always going to be this way. If this earth stands another thousand years, people are still going to mock the second coming. People are going to still say he's not doing anything, he's not real, it's all fake, it's phony. And, and well, Peter warned us. And that's why he said knowing this verse. People's going to come, people's going to say what they will, and that's all right. But Peter's going to make his argument, verse 5. He says, for this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Verse 5, for this they willfully forget. I want you to think about that just for a second. Why would they willfully forget that? Did these people know about the flood of Noah? Was that a documented fact? They had the book of Genesis, didn't they? They, they? they probably heard that scroll read hundreds of times. And they knew all about the flood, but the flood didn't fit their agenda. It didn't fit the narrative that they're trying to push around to people. So what do, what do people even still do today if a section of Scripture doesn't fit with what they think or feel or believe, what do they do with it? They willfully forget it, don't they? They deliberately neglect it. They just put it out of their mind. They don't want to hear it. I've even known of people that have taken a permanent marker in their Bible and marked it out. I heard Brother Tom Holland one time. He was, he was telling a story. He was studying with a lady, and, and he was telling her, he said, it's in the Bible. And she said, it's not in my Bible. He said, yes, it is. And he said he opened up her Bible, and it was not in her Bible because she took scissors and cut out what she didn't like. She willfully forgot. It was deliberate. These people, Peter is telling them, you, you can mock. You can say Jesus isn't coming back. You can say that everything is the same now as it was since the creation, but you're willfully forgetting you're taking away an event that God used and reminds us of over and over and over and over again to get us to see that it's real. He said, in that event is, by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. And when you read that, that's just kind of, kind of hard to understand, isn't it? It's kind of like, what in the world is he talking about? Go back to Genesis chapter 1. If I'm going to understand what he's dealing with, I need to go back. Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 7. First, Peter says, what we were just reading, by the word of God, this happened. He's going back to creation. How were things created? 
Somebody help me out. Spoken into existence. God said, let there be whatever it was, and there it was. Hebrews 11, verse 3, the Bible tells us that everything was made by the Word of God. He spoke, and it's in existence. So Peter says, by the Word of God, there was heavens, and there was an earth, and they were in the water and out of the water, all of these things. And he's trying to get us to see a picture. Here's the picture. Genesis 1, verse 7. Thus God, let's go back to verse 6, excuse me. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Well, Peter talked about the waters and the waters. What's the firmament between the waters? There's a layer, right? The whole earth was what at the beginning? Water. The whole earth was water when God first created it. And in between that, there's an expansion, would be the sky and space. And then Don talked about this not too long ago. There was around that what? This water canopy, right? Water canopy. And God used that, and he prepared that. He reserved that. And that plays into what Peter's talking about. Did God know that after some 1,600 years that he was going to destroy the earth before he ever made it? Did God know that? God has foreknowledge, right? God has foreknowledge. God knew what men were going to do. He didn't make them make any of those decisions, but he knew what men were going to do, so he had prepared that beforehand. And Peter is making that argument, and he goes back to Genesis 1 to make it. He says, look, God knew that day was coming. God knew he was going to destroy the earth, and God had already prepared everything way beforehand to make it possible. So Genesis 1, 6, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and he divided the waters which were under the firmament and the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, the sky, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, thus making the oceans, and let the dry land appear and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So go back to Second Peter. Peter is making an argument by going back and appealing to creation, something that these people knew all too well. They'd read it, they'd understood it, they'd talked about it their whole lives, and he says, I want you guys to see something. You are willfully forgetting this very thing that God created the earth and he surrounded it with water. And what did he do that for? Well, he says, verse 6, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. We've been telling you for all of this time that God's going to come back and he's going to destroy the earth. And he's going to destroy it with fire. And he's going to have a second ju uh, a judgment day and going to come again for a second time. And none of you believe this. You mock it. You say it's not possible. Look back to Genesis 1. God had a plan then. God had a plan then. He put everything in place to carry out that plan. And he put the waters above the earth. He put the waters all around the earth. He surrounded us with water. Or the men at that time period because he knew what he was going to do. 
And he says the world that was then, it perished. It changed everything, did it not? It changed absolutely everything. You see, these people had just made the argument, he's not coming back because everything is exactly the same as it was since creation. Peter's making the argument, the earth is not even the same as it was since creation. You can go to Psalm 104 and you can read about how that flood caused the mountains to come up, the valleys to go down. It changed everything about the earth. So their argument was null and void. It was a useless argument. It was one not based upon facts. It was one, an argument based upon willful ignorance. Put it out of my mind, out of mind, out of sight. Does God accept ignorance? You say, well, there was a time, Acts 17, verse 30, that God winked at ignorance, but not now. Not now. You can't claim to not know better now, and these people couldn't claim it anyways because they did know better. And what Peter is wanting us to see is if God could use water then to destroy the earth, and he prepared everything beforehand to do that, you realize you're still living under the same God? Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ was a, a direct part. He's the one that spoke everything into his existence. And he's never changed. Don't you think the God that had the limitless power to flood the whole earth and kill everything that wasn't in the ark, don't you think he's still got the same amount of power today? Yeah. Don't you think the God that can do that, don't he have the power to, to destroy this earth today, but to save everybody that's in the second ark? We're in the second ark, right? It isn't the church, the, the anti-type, or the like figure of the first ark. That's what we are. It was a place of safety that God puts us in and protects us. Peter's trying to get these people to see this. They knew this this and he desperately wants uh, to, them to see it he says verse 7 but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men think about that just for a second but the heavens and the earth which are now that's a direct contrast to the earth that was then. The earth before the flood, I understand it's the same earth, but it's vastly different. It's vastly different because God changed it. He said the earth that was then was destroyed. He says the earth that you enjoy now, the same word has preserved it. Same word. Why are we still here today? Sometimes we, we say a prayer, and I've said this many times, God, we're thankful that you are a creator and our what? Sustainer. The only way you and I are still here today is because God has preserved this earth, and he has preserved it through his word. His word, his existence, his power is what keeps this thing spinning in orbit. It causes everything to be like it is, causes us to have air to breathe, food to eat, everything that we have. But this earth has got a reservation. It's got an appointment that I guarantee that's going to be kept. Nobody's going to get around it. And he says that appointment is going to be fire. Fire. 
And I thought a lot about that as I was studying for this. You know, the first time God destroyed the earth, he already had something prepared beforehand. Is it possible he's got something prepared right now? We don't know. I mean, again, that's just useless ramblings, I guess. But the point he's trying to make is I had everything ready to take care of the first time. He's got everything ready to take care of at this time. I don't know exactly how all that works. And let me tell you something, they didn't understand this whole water barrier back in the time of Noah that, that we assume was the case either. But the point is, God did. God did. And we need to understand, understand that. We need to realize that. We need to understand that God has appointed a day. A day. Acts 17, verse 31. He has appointed a day that he will judge the world. So it is a reservation that will be kept. Jesus is only going to come one more time. And when he comes again, Hebrews 9, verse 27, that's it. No more second chances. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, God, you know, there's a day of judgment coming. And we can read that over and over and over again. One more verse, and our time will be up. He says, but, beloved, again, beloved, he loves these people. Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. He's trying to make a point. And sometimes people, they try to twist that point. And they'll take this verse completely out of context, and they'll say, well, let's take this back to creation. If God's not bound by time, you know, maybe those days of creation were long, vast amounts of time, and this earth actually is very, very old, and is that what Peter's talking about? That has absolutely nothing to do with why Peter's saying what he's saying. If I want to read the context and I want to understand the verse, what's he talking about? God made a promise to do something, and these people were saying he's not going to keep his promise. He's not going to follow through with it, and all Peter is saying is simply this. God's not bound by time. God's not bound by time. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. In other words, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The word a thousand in the Bible stands for is representative of completeness. Psalm 50, verse 10, God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. Somebody tell me what that means. God owns what? All, all the cattle. He don't own the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the cattle on every hill. So in other words, we, it's easy to understand that God owns everything. A thousand simply stands for completeness, ultimate completeness. You can read in Psalm 90 verse 4, and that's where Peter got this statement talking about God is not bound by time. It simply means complete. You see, and we can't understand this. And, and Peter's trying to get these people to understand it but they can't understand that either, can they? In our finite minds, we are bound by time. Everything we do is bound by time. Here in about two minutes, the bell's going to ring and my time is up, right? That means I've got to be quiet. But God's not bound by that. God's not bound by the same things that we are. And if God says he's going to do something, time doesn't change it. But let me ask you something. If I tell you I'm going to do something for you, and two, three, four weeks goes by, what do you think? I can tell you what happened if it's me. I forgot. Probably forgot it five minutes after I talked to you. It's getting worse by the day. 
God's not like that. And you see, we can't grasp that. So we have to take Peter at his word through inspiration. It doesn't matter. If this earth stands another 5,000 years, I don't know. God's still going to keep his promise. God's still going to do exactly what he said because he's not bound like we are. And don't ever forget that. God will always see it through. Our time is up. I appreciate your attention.